0: And welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Monica Attard. This week, we have a special show. Joining us today via Zoom, we have Gavin Morris, the soon-to-be former news director at the ABC. For those who don't know Gavin Morris, his bio is quite impressive. He spent a decade in international news, first at CNN in London as a reporter, producer, and senior editor, then in the Middle East, working on the launch of Al Jazeera English. Then back in Australia at the ABC, he was head of news content, National Editor for ABC News Online and Head of Continuous News. Then he spent more than six years as News Director. Before he moves on to his next challenge, we wanted to unpack his time at the ABC and to ask him for his insights and thoughts on what has been an eventful time. Gavin Morris, welcome back to For the State. It's been a week since you announced that you'd be leaving one of the most coveted jobs in Australian media. What are you feeling? Is it relief? Look, it is
1: relief. I'm very proud that I put my hand up and made my contribution. But having done six years in it and, and rolled out two strategies and worked with three managing directors and all the rest of it, I, I, I feel like it's time to sort of hand it over and to try something else. I don't know. I think leadership roles work really, really well when you don't occupy them permanently. Uh, and I've always felt that the secret to these sorts of roles is to get in to Use as much energy as you can to get some things done that you want to get done and then to move on. And, you know, I've never felt like I was going to be sitting in this job for a decade or more, so it's a good time for me.
0: So what, what do you think you'll miss most about the job?
1: Well, look, for the first time in 35 years, I won't be in a newsroom and I will miss that enormously. You know, I, I didn't get into this game to sit in a management office. I got in it because I love the craft of journalism and I love the privilege that we're given as journalists to go to places and speak with people that we otherwise would not get the opportunity to do. And I'm going to miss that. So I I look back over my time as a journalist in a newsroom and even in news leadership roles. And it's been obviously all of my working life. And so this will be a career change for me. And that's the bit that I'm really, I suppose, reflecting on and being a bit sort of sentimental about.
0: Yeah, I imagine there would be a fair bit of melancholy attached to leaving. But is that to say that that you might that you see yourself being back in the field?
1: No, probably the opposite, that I can't see myself back in the field. I'm, I'm a bit sort of useless now as a working journalist. I'm, I'm not sure I have the, the skill set out there in the field anymore. But I think that what I will do is probably step out of journalism in that sense of being in a newsroom and being in the daily thrust of things. And I've come to learn that I love strategy and I love projects and I love trying to put things together. And I figure that what I will do next is more of that. And that may or may not be in the media. It may or may not be in journalism. And so that's why I have this real sense that this might be sort of the end of the road for me in terms of having a direct role inside a newsroom or, or, you know, a direct role in in terms of looking at the editorial agenda of of the day and working with the team on that.
0: So you're talking there about media strategy in, in a non-media environment, not, not for a media outlet?
1: I just don't know at the moment. But what I don't think I'll be doing again is a job like this, an executive role inside a newsroom or, or running an editorial team. I suppose that's the change that I see occurring.
0: Mm. And what won't you miss, Gavin?
1: Well, Monica, um, <laughs> what won't I miss? Look, I won't miss being, you know, constantly at the heart of the sort of culture war stuff and the the cheap and supercilious kind of social media commentary around the way people discuss things these days. I, I won't miss any of that. I think that that's been a real decline in and around journalism over, you know, over my time in this job, the last kind of five years or so. And it's ugly and it's awful. And, you know, often being at the heart of some of those conversations is just a really unpleasant thing when you know that most of the time, the sort of conversation that's going on is by people who are not informed about anything, who quite often aren't even using their real names, and yet can prosecute uh, misinformed arguments that can be hurtful to people. And I'm not just, I'm not talking about me necessarily, I'm talking about the people I work with. I'm not going to miss any of that. I'll get off the Twitter, I'll get off the social platforms, and I'll live my life through interpersonal relationships, not through social media ones.
0: Oh, well, that'll be an interesting change then. So that's the social media, but there has been a lot of other public commentary as well. Let's do a quick rain check on your time at the ABC. You've lived through three managing directors. I imagine it's hard to move from one MD to another. Uh,
1: look, I've got to say, I'm surprised people have had great respect for all three managing directors I've worked for, and I got on well with them while they were in those roles. And you know, Mark Scott obviously was a, a very visionary and a terrific leader. Michelle brought energy and brought an understanding of the digital realm that I think few others could have. And, and David is just a terrific person with a lifelong commitment to the ABC and a really great way of working with people. And so I don't feel it in any way that I've been unlucky with the MDs I've had, and as I say, I've got along well with all of them, and they've all brought something to the table that was a little bit different. So that part of it I think has been, you know, has been good.
0: Mm. But Michelle Guthrie, at least, that exit was pretty messy And it did briefly give the public an idea of what happens inside the ABC board. And at that time, there were accusations, and I think indeed we could probably categorise them as more than accusations of possible meddling with the editorial independence of the ABC. I'm interested to get your take on that time and what was actually happening. It was a
1: very dark time, I think, for the ABC. And I think we went perilously close to a situation that might have been hard for us to come back from. But I think what I was proud of during that time was how resolute the ABC teams were, how resolute some of the leaders in the ABC were at that time. And how much stronger I think as an organisation we came out of that period because I think it really focused everyone's minds on the independence of the ABC, on the importance of the institution and on really fundamentally how healthy the organism is at the ABC when it's focused on the things that matter. It was a really difficult period to be in this role and to work my way through. And, you know, I I don't look back on that time with anything other than, you know, a cold shiver down the spine, but I'm glad we came through it. I'm glad I then stuck around to see David put the place back together again and to see it as healthy as it is now.
0: Was it hard to put the place back together again with David Anderson because you would have had to have played a fairly big role in that in terms of news and current affairs?
1: Well, look, it goes to my decision now because in all honesty, Monica, my contract was up around that time and there were days there where I was very open and honest to my colleagues that Not 1% of me felt like being at the ABC anymore, but I knew I didn't have a choice because I was almost one of the last people standing on the leadership team and all sorts of changes were happening. I felt quite fearful about what would happen within news at the time. So I said to David, look, I will give you one more contract because I think it's important that I provide some continuity through that period. But at the end of that contract, I will be leaving and trying something different. And so in that sense, it's the longest departure from a role you can imagine because it's been two years coming. And it was really clear for me in my mind all the way along that when this contract wrapped up, I'd be pushing off.
0: And I imagine at the time you saw your role as as one to protect and insulate staff from the dysfunction that Was unfolding before your eyes within the ABC, and also because of the pressure that was being brought to bear by government. Do you think, when you look back, that you did a good job?
1: I am really proud of what I sought to do during that period. And I've often felt like that my job during that period was if I could take all the arrows that were being slung into my own body and prevent any of them getting through to the news teams that I was doing my job and sometimes as a leader that's what you have to do and it, it hurt it you know there were it, it was bruising but that was the role at the time was to protect our journalism and our journalists from some of the misadventure that was going on around the ABC at the time and I did it as well as I could and you know I'm sort of proud that I did it and I think I made a contribution just by being there at that time.
0: Do you have any regrets from that period?
1: I don't, really, know. because look, it all ended, as I say, with the ABC being stronger for what went on and being stronger for some of the choices and decisions that we made behind the scenes during that period. I don't look back on that period and have regrets. I'm not a look back and have regrets kind of person, I have to say. So I don't know what that reveals about my personality. But, you know, I figure you keep putting one foot in front of the other and hope to move forward.
0: And no regrets about ultimately losing people like Emma Alberici?
1: I have huge regrets about the fact that third round of budget cuts that we'd had in just over my time, there was obviously the big budget cut in 2014. We had another $5 million budget cut in 2016 around the enhanced news funding. And then we had the big indexation budget cut that led to those kind of 90 odd jobs going last year. So regrets around the fact that I wish budget cuts hadn't happened, but I also am quite aware that I was pretty powerless to affect what we're given by the taxpayers. What I've always sought to do in those situations is be as thoughtful as I can be in dealing with budget cuts and ensuring that we think about the value to audiences first and make decisions accordingly.
0: Well, let's talk budget cuts. I mean, a lot of people have gone and with a lot of experience, decades and decades of it, really the nuts and bolts of how to do great public interest journalism. I mean, I suppose in time, you can foresee that that might be replaced. But in the short term, is it not problematic?
1: It's always problematic because you have to cut your cloth accordingly, and that involves cutting. We've been through various cycles of having to do that. Look, I think at some point, Monica, what Australians will have to do around this is to have a full and frank conversation around what they want public broadcasting to be in Australia and what they want a public media to be in Australia. You know, there's only so much more time that we can go through trying to provide the suite of services like something like the BBC does in Britain while having the budget of something like Channel 4 in Britain. You know, we got a fraction of the BBC's budget and we're still trying to do and are doing very well as far as I'm concerned. That's what Australians want. Then we're going to have to work out how to continue to sustain that. If that's not what Australians want, then we should have that conversation out loud and and decide.
0: I think most Australians, Gavin, would say that they love the ABC and they they love having a public broadcaster there doing what the ABC does, but that you should be able to work within the envelope of money that the government gives you, which is, let's face it, an awful lot of money. One thing that has always intrigued me about the ABC budget is that we know that some people are paid an awful lot of money, including executives. Is it time to look at those kind of structures in order to make that budget do more? I'll be
1: honest on this one. I think Australians get extremely good value out of the people inside the ABC, both in terms of journalists in newsrooms and program makers and radio presenters and people behind the scenes. I think they also get good value out of the people who are asked to do difficult jobs in executive. Roles and any comparison to the rest of the industry still places people in the ABC. I think paid efficiently and paid fairly. I'm sure you can always reform those sorts of things. But what you also don't want is to effectively set yourself up with pay scales or or things that are so anti-competitive in the industry that you just don't have good people in those roles. So there's a balance to be struck obviously around that. I think the other thing though Monica is and I've always thought that a really big part of this job was providing value for money back to all Australians and that is in the scope and suite of services we produce the quality of what we produce the breadth of what we produce in terms of being relevant to the daily lives of the full cross-section of Australians and I think we do that in terms of value for money better than we have ever done by producing stories and journalism and content that is more relevant to more Australians now than it has ever been, reaches more Australians now than has ever been, and frankly, I think, is of a higher quality now than perhaps it's ever been. Now, people will argue with me about that, but I think when you look at the cross-section of the audience profile we've got, you look at some of the journalism that we're producing and you look at the way we've responded to audience change around the way they consume news and information. I think we've been pretty successful at using the money that the Australians have invested in us to provide them with a service they value.
0: Okay, well then let's start to look at some of the the content that you're talking about, the journalism. Four Corners. It has a history of making waves. It recently celebrated an incredible milestone, 60 years on air. It's still relevant. It's Indeed, still making waves, which is what you would expect of the public broadcaster. In recent times, those waves, though, have become almost tsunami level. In the case of Christian Porter, I know that you stand by that, both the original program and the subsequent online follow-up, which alleged in historical rate, but didn't name by whom. You do accept that the claims made by the ABC can never be proven?
1: Well, they can't be proven in that sense. But I suppose you look at it from the public interest test around... The context, particularly of that follow-up online article that we did, if we had journalists that were aware that a dossier had been lodged with the Prime Minister, the opposition and the Greens that made a historical allegation of a serious crime about somebody at the heart of the government, and we chose not to report that, How would we be serving the public interest in that sense? I think that story was going to come to the public light anyway. And I think, you know, us being aware of it, we almost had a responsibility to ensure that we reported that story.
0: In that case, why did you not name him at the time?
1: Because we weren't reporting the substance of the allegations other than mentioning what the core allegation was. What we were saying was that this dossier existed and had been provided to Uh, three different political parties inside the parliament and and the Prime Minister's office, you know, about a serving Cabinet Minister. So the public interest test on is that relevant information the Australian public should be aware of, I can't imagine anybody saying that that wasn't.
0: I guess I'm interested in knowing, you know, when the truth is so contested and quite possibly can never be settled, how you make the judgement to publish?
1: You know, I've always said there are three masters that we abide by here. There's the law, there is our editorial policies There's the ethics of journalism and sitting on top of all of that effectively is the public interest. So if we can satisfy that the story is legally vetted and is legally cleared, abides with our editorial policies, has been undertaken ethically and has a public interest to it that the broader public should be aware of, then I don't think these things are difficult decisions. And I genuinely don't. If, on the other hand, we were making decisions about how powerful is this person or are there commercial interests involved or is there something here that might jeopardise our future funding or, you know, are we going to upset somebody who might be able to do something nasty to us later on? I mean, if we're making judgment calls with those sorts of things in mind, then we're in, in all sorts of trouble. The law, our ethics, our editorial policies and the public interest test If you apply those things, the decision making matrix is not that difficult in my view.
0: But yet you ended up in a world of hell with a subsequent defamation case, which was a pretty messy affair, settled with both sides claiming a win, which was odd. Do you now think that you might have gone too early with that story?
1: No, the story it still exists 100% in the form that it was published. We've not apologised for it. We've never paid damages for it. The defamation action was discontinued by the person who took the action out. You know, passed the law test because the defamation action didn't proceed. It passed the editorial policies test. It passed the ethics test. And it was totally in the public interest. So I look back on that and I don't have any regrets about that at all.
0: Mm, Okay. Do you regret the way that the period after the settlement, the way in which the social media was handled? I mean, there were tweets which followed the settlement, some of them were retracted. It seemed very messy from the outside looking in.
1: Well, I think that one of the most complex things that we have to deal with now in in newsrooms and news organisations everywhere is conversation on social media in all of its forms. And, you know, as I alluded to earlier, the more I look at the interactions and the activity that goes on on social media, the more I'm ready to, you know, run away from it as quickly as I can, because not much of it is helpful to us in terms of our journalism speaking for itself and civil and intelligent conversations going on around things that are important to the public. So, You know, I'm not going to miss social media when it comes to the interaction with journalism and our journalists once I'm sort of not in this job anymore.
0: So how do you, run in the social media activity of ABC journalism? And you said that you see no point in them having to be there to promote their work, for example, that that speaks for itself. Have you ever given thought or sought advice on whether it's possible to ban ABC journalists from social media altogether?
1: It's a bit like saying we should ban journalists from ever going to the pub and having a conversation with the public, you know. I mean, people, it's a free world and people should be entitled... To live their lives in a responsible way that reflects the dignity of their role but what we are going through a process of inside the abc is being really really rigorous around making sure that people understand their responsibilities of the way they conduct themselves in public or on social media that we've got really clear rules around that and that where that intersects with your work then you've got responsibilities whether you're speaking on behalf of the ABC or speaking as an ABC journalist. We've learned plenty of lessons through recent years of some of the things that have gone on on social media and David Anderson and the leadership team in there at the moment are working really rigorously to ensure that We're not going to ban people from doing anything in their personal lives. But equally, it's either something they're doing in their personal lives, in which case they are increasingly on their own if something occurs like legal action or those sorts of things. But if it's directly related to their work, they've got a responsibility and that is going to be crystal clear to people.
0: Two questions arise for me there in terms of people being on their own if they break the rules. Clearly wasn't the case, I think, with at least one incident with Louise Milligan recently, where the ABC chose to pay for the legal fees associated with the defamation action brought against her in relation to a tweet. Why was that?
1: I'm not going to talk about any of the individual people or, or cases because, you know, frankly, I don't need to anymore. But what I am going to say is that every time that we have come across a situation that we haven't been in before, we've come off the back of that and said, all right, well, how would we change things to ensure that you know, perhaps we're not in those sorts of situations again?
0: Mm. So what is the sanction then for breaking the ABC social media rules?
1: Well, it totally depends on the nature of what you've done in, as you say, breaking the rules. But the rules have been made really crystal clear to everybody. And... You know, within the boundaries of those rules, people need to be thoughtful about the way they interact. But, but as I say, I mean, just as much as a journalist or um, any staff member shouldn't be out there doing irresponsible things in their, in their lives away from work that bring into question their reputation or their role, it's a similar principle on social media. And, and we're just making that really crystal clear and making sure that that is not in question around social media in the future.
0: What well, what's the worst that can happen to you if you break the rules?
1: Well, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you don't keep your job. If what you end up doing is fundamentally breaking the rules of the ABC or the code of conduct of the ABC, obviously people can lose their jobs over that. But there's every step in between that. You know, some people will talk to, some people will warn. And ultimately, obviously, if there's a sort of repeat pattern of behavior or whatever else, then some people, you know, increasingly will probably be without a job.
0: And has it worried you when you've watched the way some staff tweet that they're conveying a political position, even when they don't think they are?
1: I'm a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to both journalism and public media. My view is this, that I would always hope that our journalism does our talking for us and that the strength of our stories and our storytelling And the strength of our research and the strength of the diversity of voices we bring into our stories is the thing that stands for us as our on-the-record statement about anything. And where the waters can get muddied is when, you know, what we broadcast or what we put on a website is meticulously organised and done through the highest standards. And then what we do on social media isn't at that same standard and has then the ability to undermine the journalism. So let your stories do the talking, is what I like to say to journalists within the ABC, because the storytelling you do and the journalism you do is first class, and rarely is it faltered. Let that stand for what we need to be putting to the public as a service to the public. And the less than anybody knows about what we really think or what our opinions are or, or anything else, the better in my view.
0: Gavin, let's talk briefly about the uh, Winita Nielsen television series, which has been pulled. There are claims that the programme makers did a deal with the main source to not interrogate his criminal record, which had in fact been read into the public record during the 1983 inquest. Now, the ABC commissioned that series. It wasn't made in-house. Are there lessons to be learned here about identifying problems when you have an outside organisation trying to produce to the ABC's editorial standards?
1: I look, Monica, I'm sure there are, but I have little knowledge of what you know, of how that works. I mean, in news, we don't commission outside productions. This this was not one done through news. And so I don't have a lot of the background that I can be helpful with, other than to say the model is different for us in ABC News, where we produce all of our own content other than the odd buy-in around four corners or or foreign correspondent or something like that, where we might buy a, a particular episode of something. We aren't a model that commissions content with external producers in that way. And that's why the ABC News model was set up, because we always retain our own editorial independence. But that is different to the independent documentary sector, which is not part of news
0: okay well one of the ones that you did produce in house let's look at that one expose the ghost train fire which was the cara Mildred hannah patrick begley documentary which you took a lot of heat on that one and i know that you very strongly stand by the program but you know it's critics the troy bramston's malcolm turnbull's amongst them there was a review by professor rodney tiffin and chris masters who praised the program but found that it made the strong impression that the former premier neville ran was directly involved do, do you now call ABC journalists when dealing with allegations against deceased people on the basis that it's, you know, just an allegation? Are there lessons there going forward for your successor and indeed for ABC journalists?
1: No, let's be clear that the program didn't make an allegation that Neville Rand was somehow involved in the fire or anything like that. The allegation was that there may have been conversations well after the event about how that land would be used and through whom. And, you know, we had uh, witnesses in the program who spoke to that. So people will have differing points of view about whether we put too much weight on that, whether we overemphasize the points, but the central thesis that documentaries often do is is to follow a line of inquiry, is to interview people who bring information to that and then to try to strike the right balance in how heavily different angles in that story might be presented. And so I have no argument with the fact that people may have thought we put too little or too much weight on particular angles and stories that we do, but that's what editorial judgment calls are for. Not everyone will agree with the outcomes. And you know, if we were to Take every piece of advice that we get about who thinks we got the balance perfectly right on every single story, we would be second-guessing ourselves all the time. You know, Remember, this was a four-part documentary series, which I think was incredibly valuable, really brilliantly produced, brought to light something that is now the result of formal inquiries and reopening of investigations into what might have gone on back then. So I think the value that that program brought totally overwhelms, really, the criticisms that have been made of it since.
0: Okay. Gavin, I'm sure you'd agree the ABC, you know, should be open to criticism. And you mentioned earlier the kind of culture wars that have been a bit of a drain. You've seen it up close and personal with your own decision to step down and how that's been covered in particular by the Australian. During your time, how have you viewed News Corp criticism of ABC News and current affairs?
1: Predictable, you know, is I suppose the way I would define it. You know, if you've got a, you know, a commercial interest to be the dominant news provider in the country, and there is another organisation funded by the public who are an impediment to that sometimes, you've got the right to attack it, I suppose. And that's what News Corp have consistently done. So it's predictable because, you know, you can see where they're coming from. They wish that they had the market to themselves. And quite often they wish we weren't there, being an irritant in the system to the commercial business that they're trying to run. So I, I totally understand that. I think the thing that's been a little bit sad for me over the course of the last few years is you've seen this decline in resources for journalism overall. You know, in some quarters you see this argument that says, well, if there's less profit for us in running our business then all of the industry should be smaller and no part of the industry should be as successful. If we can't make as much money as we used to, then everything should come down with us. And I think that is an unnecessary part of the argument for me. And, and you know, not necessarily just in News Corp, but I think commercial media more broadly. I suppose I look at it a different way. I think we should have a really strong and viable ABC and SBS and a public media sector, I also wish and hope that we see more successful business models emerge and that the commercial operators that do great news and current affairs in the Australian market live long and prosper. And that everybody is able to do a stronger and better job on behalf of the public, rather than this sort of argument that says, you know, let's all go down the funnel together.
0: You think that the criticism is born of commercial envy rather than anything else, but no valid criticisms there to be looked at?
1: Oh, sure. No, no, I'm not not saying that there are never valid criticisms of the ABC and we get them from lots of different sources. And where we do make a genuine mistake or an editorial error, we try to hold our hands up and say, look, you know, we'll do better. We'll learn from that and we'll improve. So not for a second am I so naive to suggest that the ABC doesn't make errors and that we shouldn't be held accounts when we get things wrong. We should be held account more than anybody else because we are paid for by the public. It is a lot of taxpayers' money that's invested in the ABC and we need to be accountable for the way We spend that so look two different things I think there's no doubt that some of the criticism we get from some of the commercial media is around the fact that we're an irritant in the marketplace but that's not to say that then other criticisms that are made against us aren't valid at times
0: Okay, well, beyond editorial error, is there criticism to be laid, as it often has been from News Corp, that the ABC has a bias problem, and let's narrow that down—that it has a bucket list of issues that it takes position on and prosecutes regularly.
1: Again, I think there are areas that we can improve around that. We are in the middle of a strategy at the moment that in news and editorial strategy in news called "More Relevant to More Australians," and the whole point of that is to say, look, where are there pockets or corners of the Australian audience? that we are not as relevant to as we should be. There are some parts of our cities and towns and rural and regional Australia that we are very, very relevant to, and we do a great job in speaking to their issues and concerns. And there are other parts of Australia that I think we could improve on being relevant to the daily lives of Australians. And I think all Australians who put their hands in their pockets to pay their taxes to the ABC, should see value in what they get and should find relevance in our services. And so More Relevant to More Australians has been a real effort by the whole news team over the past two years going into a third year next year to really reach out to those pockets that don't use us and don't find us as relevant to their daily lives and to try and improve that. And it's been successful, the sorts of storytelling we're doing, the sorts of communities that we're speaking to and we're working with. I think has been a real improvement over the last couple of years. And you'll see that continue to develop over the years ahead.
0: I imagine diversity would play a fairly big role in the mix there as well, wouldn't it? I mean, and I know that you've made diversity a bit of a drive and that you're very proud of that 50-50 program that you've just wound up, which is seeing more female voices heard. Fantastic. And there are quite a few female executive producers, but only one female, as I understand it, on the executive. Is that true? And if so, Why?
1: I wish I had been more successful in more people in, in my executive roles. I've got some managing editors and there's some females among them. And I just had one of my heads move on a woman who was successful in the role. But look, I you know, wish I had done better in having more females on the leadership team. And, you know, I've, I've tried to improve many things. And that's one thing that I wish I had have improved more.
0: From the public's perspective, of course, they turn on ABC TV and the vast bulk of the presenters are blonde and Anglo. What's going on there? Why no movement there?
1: Well, that's rubbish, Monica, honestly. We have more people on air now that come from a different range of backgrounds that represent the faces and voices of Australia than we have ever had. That's Indigenous Australians, that's people from culturally diverse backgrounds, that is women, that's people from suburban Australia and people from rural and regional Australia. And I don't think any other organisation in Australia, you know, has been successful in, in changing to the extent that we have. You know, I think in some of these issues I've said we've made more progress in the last five years than we probably made in the 50 years before that. So we are getting there on some of these issues. Fundamentally, it comes down to this. Unless the entire Australian community looks at the ABC and sees themselves reflected in the way we speak to them, then we haven't achieved what we need to do. And so I talk about diversity in all of its forms. That's socioeconomic diversity, making sure that People from the suburbs and from working class backgrounds see a place for themselves in the ABC. That people from rural and regional Australia do. That Indigenous people, people with different cultural backgrounds, women, people with you know different sexual orientations, whatever it is, what the community that we serve as a public media has to see themselves reflected in the way the ABC speaks to it. And we are trying really hard to ensure that that is true. I would also say that you know one of the criticisms to us is around whether we also represent all the points of view. And we have to keep working at that. I absolutely think that we've got to continue to be vigilant about making sure that if you have a valid point of view in the community, you should also hear it on the ABC or see it or or see it reflected. These things are always things that we've got to keep working at because we're not there yet. We're making good progress, but we need to keep going.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, Gavin, a final question. What do you think the main strengths are that are needed for the person who follows you into this role?
1: I genuinely think... It's a sense of public service. You know, this isn't a a role like any other in our media. You know, you're not here to drive a commercial strategy or to build the biggest audience or attract a certain demographic. You know, this role is about saying the ABC is such an important public service in the information ecosystem. And that's where this role has got to think of first. So value for money, public service, ensuring that we're asking questions and pursuing stories that others might not for whatever reason, and that people can trust the service that we're providing and can value the service they're providing and can find relevance in the service we're providing. For me, it's a public service value for money test that I think the custodian of this role needs to have at front of mind all the time.
0: And do you think it should go to perhaps a woman this time around?
1: Look, I think a woman, I think somebody that brings different cultural perspective. I think somebody that's got a broad range of experience and you know, all of those things would be valuable in, in people who are putting up their hands for this role. Absolutely.
0: On that note, I'd like to thank Gavin Morris for being on For The State. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the community radio network. For The State is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to For estate on your favorite podcast app so that you can hear us talk about media politics and of course everything in between we'll be back with more next week but in the meantime you can stay in touch with us on twitter our handle is fourth estate au thanks to my producers anthony dockwell and and i thank you for listening